There are some franchisees that I knew that had 15 to 20 locations. And a lot of them said, the hardest time you'll ever have is when you have one location. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. When I had one location, I had one set of problems. And they're like, no, because what you do is, is you broaden your horizon, you broaden your mind and thinking. You set that formula and you move to the next. And when small problems come, you learn to give that responsibility to the operators in the store. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name is Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. And my life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. Today, we have a super exciting guest. It's going to be awesome. Uh, just me today, no Dan Claps. Dan is, uh, you know, working working really hard on Voda cleaning and restoration, but doesn't matter because today we have an amazing guest here with uh, with Nick Defada. Nick, am I saying your last name right? Yeah, Defada, you got it. All right, fantastic. Well, Nick is a pretty robust level of experience in franchising, which was one reason I was super excited to, to talk with you and we were introduced to a mutual friend. And I think you have an incredible story and I'm I don't know a whole lot about it, but I think that's what we'll, we'll unpack here um, and just get into your resume and, and how, you, how you've built a pretty successful career in the franchise industry. So Nick, first, I'd just like to start off by saying uh, thanks for coming on the show. And then also would love to just you. get your background and um, how'd you get into franchising? Just tell, tell your story. Give us your background. Yeah, we'll start there. Sure, sure. So I, uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Baltimore. Um, you know. Uh, family of you know five kids where we worked really hard as a kid uh, doing construction stuff like that and one day when I was in my late teens I was in college my brother had this idea he said we should open a restaurant so I said okay uh, you know I have some money saved away let's do it you know let's get into it so together we purchased a restaurant we um, were doing the the, the the, the 10 to 10 type thing, you know, working, you know, you know, so many hours. And it was like uh, basically five days on, maybe two days off. But on those two days, you know, you're getting called in because something's broke or somebody called out or for whatever reason. And about, I don't know, a couple of years of that just got very tiresome because every holiday we're fighting at the table and just going into crazy, you know, scenarios and how this person doesn't do this and that person doesn't do that. So one day I came across my desk there. Uh, um, I was like, you know what? I want to get into franchising. I want to get into doing, I want to get into like doing, because uh, I enjoyed restaurants, but I also wanted to get into the business side of it. Because I thought, why am I, you know, slaving over a grill for 12 hours a day? And why don't I get into something a little more, um, you know, hands off and letting other people do the work? So um, um, actually my wife, had a relative that was in Subway and came to me and said, uh, hey, uh, a business consultant uh, role up, uh, opened up and this is basically what you do. And my job was to help them 
increase increase their um, you know how they ran their 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 stores function, how to increase profitability, how to grow more restaurants, how to find great locations, how to you know become um, you know really successful people, and got into that. Um, you know, it's a long process to learn, but once I got into it, I just loved it. It was, you know, turning stores that that were losing money and getting ready to go out of business to guys that were opening two and three stores, you know, really blowing up in in the system. And, you know, it was it was it was very rewarding to have these people that, you know, came to me that didn't know the difference between turkey and ham that were now, you know, buying, you know, three and four restaurants. You know, it was great. But two, when I got into the system, I thought to myself, "Why just get a? Re- why just get one restaurant? Or why just get into this business? Why not also take my knowledge and purchase a restaurant?" And I said, "You know what? Two years. If I don't run a restaurant, I'm getting out of this, and I'm opening up something else. I'm doing something different." So that's what I did. I looked, and you know, would, would talk to owners and do break evens, and you know, doing traffic patterns and doing everything you could imagine just to be successful in this position. I also scouted and kind of looked for hopefuls to run the store because obviously I wasn't going to quit my job to run the store. I wanted someone good and strong to run the store. So one day, I don't know, it was maybe three years in because I I missed my two-year mark, of course. Um, I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to find something. And one day, uh, a, a friend slash owner that I consulted said to me, I want to sell my store can you put it on the market for me? And I was like, okay, you know, fine. And I asked around and thought to myself, what the hell are you doing? This is your opportunity. What are you thinking? So one day I was in a store and one guy really stood out. He was very just polite with all the customers and just, I mean, even just happy as you could imagine. And then there was another guy in another store, kind of the same deal. And I said to these two guys, I said, hey, let's open a business together. Let's, 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 you know, if you guys want to step out of your comfort zone and and not run a store, but own a store, let's do it together. So we went in there and it was an average volume store. It was, it was busy, but it wasn't the greatest store in the world. And we went in and just cleaned house. I mean, you know, trained everybody to be perfect. I mean, we had every, every, every person in our store, it didn't matter what time you went in there from, you know, seven in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, they were smiling, they were happy and every customer really felt that, you know? So the first year we were up like 50%. The next year we were up like 60%. I mean, just amazing numbers. And, you know, we were rewarded for that. We were given um, a franchisee of the year award for, from Subway. Wow. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just years of, of, of us really doing a great job. And over those next couple of years, it was like, well, why don't we duplicate this? We got to get into more. We got to do another one and we got to do another one. So, again, you know, I talked to some owners and sometimes politics played its role. And we didn't get a second location. And then one day it was like, well, how about this location? Nobody's, you know, um, no one's really talked about it. Uh, No one's really claimed it. Let's get this one. And I kind of settled for not as good of a location, but we did our best. And, you know, we, we, we got a location up and thriving. So... Uh, after that, again, I went and I found a third location. So running three really good locations and um, COVID kind of played its part. I ended up like selling one of the locations because, you know, traffic kind of dipped and 
a lot of the, the offices around it and stuff kind of got out of there. And then again, uh, I think COVID um, had a, had played its part in a Walmart uh, breaking their lease and having to leave that location. So, but in the meantime, I looked into doing other things and kind of uh, diversifying and getting into other uh, other franchise businesses. So um, that's when I came across uh, the guy we both know, Brandon, and he's been kind of walking me through looking for opportunities and. Um, we haven't quite got there yet, but I've been, you know, working with some of the old, um, owners from Subway and stuff and, um, you know, uh, working with them through free, you know, uh, just, uh, consulting and doing other work in, in the field to independently, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, help them grow in the, just in the, in the, uh, you know, in, in, in diversifying and getting other businesses in their portfolio. That's fantastic. I want to dive into all of that. And I think one of the places that I think would be helpful for everyone to start is because we have an audience that is a mixed bag within franchising, people that are looking to possibly buy a franchise, existing franchisees, franchisors, franchise development people, vendors within the franchise space, you name it. And I think it's always helpful to hear the stories of people that have run, that run the thing, right? that actually operate the franchises because ultimately it's the franchisee who really powers the entire franchising industry. Without the franchisee, there is nothing else, right? So I think what a lot of people... And there's myths about franchising. There's myths about multi, uh, multi-unit multi franchise ownership, how to do it successfully. I'm sure there's myths about Subway that we can, we can get into and, and dispel a little bit as well. But... Yeah, I'm curious. I think it'd be helpful for the audience to hear just a little bit about, first of all, you know, why multiple stores? What's the case for getting multiple stores and scaling that way? Challenges you came up with? And how do you successfully do that? I mean, I think a lot of people, they think, gosh, if it's especially if it's their first business, one franchise sounds like a lot on its own, let alone two or three or 10 or however many locations. So what's the case for owning multiple and how do you do that successfully? Well, obviously when you own one location, it's kind of your baby. It's your golden goose. You kind of grow it to its maximum potential. But part of that maximum potential is, is you need to expand. You need to uh, move to another area where you can grow that success. Obviously the benefits are if you can double that success, you double, you know, your income and your profits and everything else. But some of the downfalls are, you know, like I had a team of about, I would say six to eight guys in the first store. And I mean, everyone was trained to the T. Like they, 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 they made customers happy at 7 a.m. in the morning, all the way until 11 o'clock at night. Um, and, you know, they were, they were happy to, to kind of, um, you know, spread that cheer. But by the time you get to your second, uh, you know, you, you kind of run into double the problems. You run into, you know, where before you had one freezer to worry about, now you have two. When you had one landlord to worry about, now you have two. But, you know, you take your, your your key staff and when you move them to the second and you kind of split that, you just, you you maintain that level of quality and you maintain that level of enthusiasm. And, you know, you just, you, you just keep growing, you know, you keep growing with the same, you know, winning attitude and, and winning formula. I love it. So, 
what did your day-to-day look like in the beginning when you first opened up? Like, How involved were you? What did you do on a daily basis? What was your role that you played in the business? And then how did that shift as you opened up multiple locations? So when I first started out, I would say that I would visit there probably about three to four days a week during you know Monday through Friday. Uh, I would also visit uh, on the weekend. Sometimes I just kind of pop in and um, you know lend a hand whenever. But I would always go there on Friday night. Friday night was like the key to me because it was when we got a lot of you know it was a very busy time. But also, too, you could be the most friendly with the most amount of people. You could really sit down with the with the moms and kids and the, you know, the football teams and, you know, whoever it may be, and really kind of give, you know, that that feeling of like community. Um, and of course, when you have two locations, you can't be at two places at the same time on a Friday night. But, um, you know, by the time I would go to my second location, it was more or less the same where I would you know, so I would visit there four days a week. The first store, I would maybe drop it down to three to then visiting the other store, maybe two to three days a week. So all five days, I was at least stopping in for a little bit of time, each one of them. Um, and then again, on the weekends, kind of stopping in. But another thing I also had was, is that um, I had uh, operators that were also uh, small partners. Mm. So they were invested in the business. No matter what business I had, I always had somebody that was invested. So, mm. you know, every sandwich they sold, they got a piece of it. Every sandwich that, you know, or every, every uh, you know, drink they sold or whatever the case may be, they were always getting some of it. So it really kept, um, you know, a strong, like, uh, like sense of, of pride in the business. Because even yeah. when I, yeah, I mean, even when I've been the third business, it was in a Walmart. And the best thing you can have is because, you know, you get customers of all ages was that friendly face to, you know, children and um, like, say, a lot of like older customers and stuff that really, you know, they, they gave that feeling of, of, a, of a family feeling to customers. So um, but again, you know, I had to split my time kind of between three stores. And really, it's, it's funny because you, you, you think that you just have to make your customers happy. But if you don't have your employees happy. That's when you run into a huge problem as well, because they'll reflect how whatever you, whatever weight you put on their shoulders, they'll reflect to the customers. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. So, how do you keep employees happy? And is it a? I mean, I'm sure a function of it is getting the right people in the first place that have good attitude that are going to treat people right. But, but also they're human beings, and you know they have their own different wants and goals and things that they're looking to do, and you know they could have a bad day. So. And like you said, 100%, they'll definitely relay those emotions to the customer. So how do you sure. how do you find good people in the first place? And then how do you keep them happy? And then how do you retain them? Because obviously, it's you, know, you don't want to have a revolving door. But I would imagine that Subway was maybe a kind of business that had higher turnover than other types of businesses. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm curious what, what that was like and how you minimize turnover and how you found good people in the first place. So some of the some of the employees that I found or partners even that I found in the first place were you know people of the community that they had um, you know ties to the community kind of to start with. So they were you know they had twenty some year old children that were you know and the the one he was probably about thirty so his son was up and growing. So they kind of grew into the business to a sense, but they were also kind of connected with the community. They already kind of had that. Um, where they knew, um, 
you know, uh, people from church or people from um, businesses in the community where, um, and even some customers, some customers would come in. And I remember there was a guy that was like a landscaping guy that would come in and say, hey, you know, it's it's the winter season and, you know, I don't really have work for this, you know, young guy. Can you help him out? And we brought him on and he was one of our greatest employees, you know, and most of the people we had, we had him at least three to four years. So wow. it was a good span of, yeah, just very good, um, uh, responsible uh, employees. And, you know, our turnover was always very low because my thing was, and I learned this more from being in the field prior, was that if you make it easy for an employee to work or if you make it comfortable for an employee to work, that's how they'll work their best. And I know it sounds a little like corny and it sounds a little bit, but like, you know, if 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 there's a mop that might make it easier for them to mop a floor or if it, you know, just easier to reach to grab something, those little things, they only cost you a few dollars, but for an employee, their back won't hurt, their legs won't hurt, their muscles won't hurt. Um, and, you know, also just talking to them and asking them kind of what they need, you know, and if... They say, I need a $20 increase per hour. Some things, obviously, you can say, look, you know, that's not going to happen, but let's meet somewhere. Let's, let's, you know, let's work with you to get what you need. And it always seemed to keep every one of my employees happy. That's fantastic. I mean, that's important. Love hearing that too. I think it's awesome. Um, so when it comes to Subway, you know, there's there's different people, different perceptions of different types of brands and especially big name empire brands like a Subway. So, I mean, obviously you as an operator, someone that's owned these and have, have someone that's lived it, what do you find are some of the key myths that people have about owning a Subway franchise and what that looks like that just isn't, that doesn't match up with reality? One of the, the things where I'll tell people, I'll say, or they'll come to me and, and and I don't know how exactly they'll put it, but they'll say that, you know, is everything really fresh? I'm like, well, I mean, our tomatoes are cut every day, our onions are cut every day, our cucumbers are cut. Now, over the last like year or so, we even cut our meats every day. So everything is cut, you know, on a daily basis. Everything is fresh on a daily basis. People think that everything just comes out of a box or a bag, you know, shipped in and just flopped out there. And it's it's truly not like that. I mean, we bake cookies a couple times a day. We bake bread a couple times a day um, where people think that it's it's not real. I mean, other franchises, I can tell you, they pull the bread right from the freezer. They let it thaw and then they cut it. So we are definitely one of those um, franchises where unless maybe you're the first person in the morning, everything is very fresh. Everything is, you know, um, baked fresh or sliced fresh every single day. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. You've been a consultant helping advise different Subway franchisees and obviously you've owned them too, so... What is the the common denominator between people that just killed it, did super super well with their with their subway locations as franchisees, and those that just struggled and couldn't cut it? I mean, obviously, I'm think, I'm sure there were external factors that play into it. Maybe they didn't have the greatest locations, but a lot of it too. I mean, the way that I look at it, and the way that I coach my clients is, it takes a good concept, but it also takes a good operator, and it's the marriage of the two that's going to 
ultimately equal success. You can have a fantastic franchise concept, but if you're a C minus or a D operator, you can totally blow that opportunity and it could, it could not work out very well at all. So what are the common denominators that you have noticed in advising and just being in the system? What have you noticed that are the reasons people succeed? And then at the same, uh, on the same or on the other side of the token, I guess, what are the reasons people fail or, or don't do as well? So I think this kind of answers both. But one thing I learned from back when I first started, one of the vice presidents of our company said, you know, you're doing a, uh, it was called a request for uh, a request for additional franchise. So basically, someone's requesting to buy a second location or open a second location. They said, if you, if you want to work, okay, you're working with this person right now every day, you know, or not every day, but you visit them once a month. They call you sometimes. You're working with them. Do you want to duplicate what you're, who you're working with? And I'm like, well, no, I don't. You know, they're, they're needy. They don't follow the rules. They don't read, you know, the stuff that we give them. They don't like put their self out there positive to customers. They're turning away customers. Cause you know, obviously one of the, the, the hardest part of just business in general is, is to receive the, you know, receive the customer and have them, you know, leave with the, what they came for. Because, you know, there were a lot of times in Subway where, you know, you, they get, you know, the customer would get the bad attitude from a, a staff or something. Well, do I want a second location where they have staff that are giving bad customer service? Of course not. Um, you know, they, they, a uh, customer will come in and they complain that the, they didn't get the right amount of stuff, or they were overcharged. It's like any of those different things. Obviously, I don't want to duplicate that. I want to duplicate success. I want to duplicate um, good customer comments, and I want to duplicate good environments. I want to duplicate, you know, um, work like basically a good representation of the brand. If they're not providing that, then we don't want them to duplicate because obviously they're going to bring us in the in the wrong direction. So to have, you know, a good atmosphere, to have well-trained employees, to understand and, and really grasp and, you know, um, you know, really, really take in the concept and, and put it out to customers. That's what you want to have, you know, a franchisee grow to multi-units. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, that all makes, makes a ton of sense. Have you noticed any common threads as far as like people's backgrounds? That this type of person tends to do really well in a subway franchise or just in franchising in general. Like, do they come from like an operations background in corporate America and they just tend to kill it? Were they like former sales guys or like, is there any kind of common thread or are they just from all across the board and all, all different walks of life? Uh, it's usually from different, different walks yeah. of life. I mean, I've had, you know, kids in there just turning 18, getting into franchises. And then I've had people in there that are retiring and, this being their kind of retirement vehicle to get to where they want to go. So I've kind of seen every different, you know, shape and, you know, form. So, yeah. And I figured that I, I knew the answer to that, but I wanted for the audience, I wanted them to hear that because I think a lot of people think that, you know, you have to be a certain way to be successful as a franchisee or you need to have a ton of prior business experience. I mean, part of the reason you're buying a franchise is, I mean, look, of course it helps if you're a prior business owner, prior operator, yeah, that's going to help. But I think that that's one of the reasons 
buying into a franchise system like a Subway can be very helpful because it, it is a business in a box. They will coach you. They will help you. And so I, I want to dive into that a little bit more too. I mean, what kind of support did, did Subway provide? I mean, obviously you had coached people already, but what kind of support did Subway provide? And why didn't you just do something on your own? And why, why go with Subway? Of course, the big brand name, right? That helps, of course, you know, but... Um, but beyond that, what were some of the the reasons Subway was attractive to you versus just starting a, a sandwich shop on your own where you don't have to pay royalties and you don't have to pay a franchise fee and that kind of thing? Well, and that was the thing, like when I was in the mom and pop shop, it was, you know, it was, we were, we were the brand and, you know, we didn't have to pay anybody and we were our own quality control. And obviously, you know, we weren't as um, like, uh, we didn't get that, that, where there was no support. I mean, it was basically, uh, you know, it was one of my brothers or my sister or whoever was saying, Hey, you did that wrong. Or, you know, it was very just informal and, you know, that's just the way it worked. But, you know, with Subway, like as a consultant, I would visit a store every, you know, once a month, I'd spend about two to three hours with them. Um, throughout the month, they could pretty much call me anytime and say, Hey, I have a problem with X, Y, and Z. Um, if there's a vendor issue, they'd call me. Sometimes if they'd have customer issues, they'd call me. Um, even just ordering things, they would call me. But it wasn't just me. I mean, there were uh, leasing consultants. There were project managers. There were coordinators. Um, there was, you know, so many levels of, of help along the way. So to have that type of just assistance and guidance, I don't want to say that you can't fail because obviously there are many that have, you know, and there are many that do. But with all that guidance and all that support, I mean, as long as you are doing what that book says, you have just such a great success rate, you know? I think that's awesome. Yeah, and then I think another thing that's important too is, and I don't know how, I mean, I'm sure they provide a lot of support on this front, like you had briefly touched on, but finding the right location and the build-out process, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people, it's very easy, especially if they're a first-time franchisee or if, or if they're maybe they've owned some kind of mobile-based business in the past and it's more about you scaling people and trucks, not brick and mortar. I, I think it's very easy to overlook just how complex that process can be. It's not as simple as just find a location, sign a lease, and then it's all good to go. There's a process you have to follow a certain order of operations to make sure things are done in the right order. That way it's on budget, on time, those kind of things. So okay. Can you can you walk us through a little bit about how to properly do that and just with with your own stores? I mean, what was that build out process like? How did you go about finding the right location? And um, did you make any mistakes in, throughout the build out process? And what did that look like? And what were the timelines and all that kind of stuff? So, like in my situation, I was presented a location that was somewhat near mine. Right. The first, and, right. Yeah. Yeah, it was somewhat near my first location. So when I was provided basically the blueprints of the location, I I mean, I picked it apart where I was like, no, we shouldn't have a mop sink here. We should put it in the back. And, you know, no, uh, we should extend the counter. So when we do catering business, we have space. So I really put my hands on touch on everything. I mean, move doors. I learned a lot of just about codes and stuff of how close you had to be to exits and stuff like that. Um, even uh, like handicap, um, what is it like? Uh, the ADA like codes and stuff like that. I mean, I learned all that stuff because I became so at one with this because I wanted the perfect location. I wanted it to be 
you know, um, I wanted the traffic flow to be right. I wanted everything to kind of work right. Um, so in my situation, I was handed a location. Others, you would go and you would find a location and you would bring it to our development office and we would have people that would do like surveys and stuff that would have certain traffic patterns, have certain amount of like, say, cars that would go through there. We would even have people to go out in the field and stop customers and ask them, where are you coming from? Where are you going? If you're buying a sandwich, you know, they would ask all the questions that would kind of qualify for that location. So you think if you're just a mom and pop off the street guy, you don't know. I mean, I'm sure you don't know these things. I mean, obviously you could know that, hey, there's a big building over here and there's a lot of employees there that they'll pass it and you can, you know, sell a lot of food. But when it comes to just opening, say, like a location where uh, it's in a shopping center or if it's in a, uh, you know, a building, you know, knowing landlords, like we we had a Rolodex of landlords. You know, you could say a name in, in the Baltimore area in my office, they would know right away um, that's, you know, this landlord, uh, here's his phone number. This is what they charge per square foot. They would know everything from kind of start to finish. Um, and they would work to get you the best deal. So you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be paying 10 or $15 more square foot, more than what everyone else was paying. So you definitely got that. You really got that. Um you know, that full picture when you were walking into a situation or when you were walking into a, a new location. Yeah. So then, so you got the first one, you, you built that up. And then at a certain point, right? I mean, you you killed it. I mean, in terms of growing the revenue year over year. So that was super successful. Was there a point where location number... I mean, what caused you to want to get the second story? Again, just to reiterate, but because I, I would imagine that there's a certain amount of volume or, where it almost caps out, right? Would you say that it caps out at a certain point with the store? Or do you think you know one store you can continue to churn out and continue to grow it, you know, year over year? Or at a certain point, it does make sense to get location two and then three and then however many. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's locations in Subway or any other franchise where they have those like shooting stars that are doing right five times as much as the average volume. You know, in different settings, of course. But, um, you know, in, in like this situation, we were, you know, I would say that that in our territory, we were within the top two to three stores, you know, year after year. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, if we could find another location in the same market, but not where it really impede on the first one, then why would we not just open a second location? Which it did. I mean, it definitely took a little bit of our business, but it was far enough where we kind of grew new customers. And, you know, grew from there. But it is, there is like that thin line because there are some stores that they build them and they do as many surveys as you want. But you're going to find that convenience plays the biggest toll by having just a location that's closer and, you know, more, um, you know, just easy for a customer to leave a job and get lunch or whatever the case may be and not pass them to go to other locations. Because you do hear that. You do hear customers say, I passed three locations to get to your location. That's true, but if you only have 10 minutes, you're going to stop at the fast but first place and get the fastest service. So, yeah, that makes that makes total sense. So, no, I think that that's that's really interesting and then um in terms of scaling it and opening up the additional locations, did you just cash flow from the first business? Did you get additional funding to to scale? I mean, what did that look like? So, it's it's funny you ask that um so when I went to my second location, I said to myself I was like, well, 
you know, I I have, you know, some money and I'm I can kind of put a nice down payment to do the second location. But I can't, I don't have enough to do it like straight out of pocket. Right. And some of like permits and stuff were like held up. But anyway, in the meantime, like, okay, so when I bought my first location, I went straight from a capital company. They were absolutely horrible. Hmm. They overcharged me. They, you know, had all kinds of fees. We had contracts that I was happy with, the seller was happy with, and Subway was happy with. And they said, no, you need to get this thing, you know, notarized. And I need um, a lawyer to look it over. I mean, it was, they cost me all kinds of extra fees. So when I did my second one, I said, okay, I'm not going to use a capital company because first of all, they just charge arm and a leg for like higher fees. But I went to a, like a local private bank. And I mean, I, I want to say that I was only trying to get like a hundred to a hundred and maybe twenty five thousand. And they turned me down, and I said, "You know what?" And I swear, this is what I said to them. I said, "If you don't give it to me today, if the permits and stuff take an extra two or three months, I'll I'll make that money up myself, and I will save that money, and I'll I'll open the damn thing without you." And lo and behold, I paid for that second location in cash wow. because I. I just, you know, that and that and the, the contractor I was working with, he said, we can kind of pay as you go worth, you know, say 20% up front and then like installments basically throughout the process. And that's what I did. I, I, I paid every dollar out of pocket, made it work. I love it. Just like an entrepreneur, you found a way, you made it happen. I think that's, that's, that's cool. right. That's right. Love it. Well, cool. And I think, I mean, Obviously, the subway story is pretty incredible. But in terms of what you do now, it, it, you do some independent consulting. So you help. Um, you're continuing to help subway locations, but you also it's not just subway, right? I mean, you, you work with all kinds of businesses. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, so the thing is about subway owners, they tend to come from other backgrounds where they have sometimes other businesses that are franchised and sometimes that are not. So, I mean, I've had I've consulted with people with. Uh, building houses and uh, doing construction. Um, I've worked with them with, um, you know, ex- uh, uh, in, you know, building more Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, um, even getting funding for like uh, uh, liquor stores and dry cleaners. So I've kind of worked with them in different ways. And also to um, just giving them technical advice in Subway where if they need, um, you know, help uh, running networks in their stores and stuff like that with computer systems and stuff. So I've definitely still kind of uh, fed off that subway beginning, but it's broadened my horizon and kind of taught me a lot of new other skills kind of around just in the business world. I love it. I think it's a super valuable service to offer people. And so you don't just focus solely on on uh, working with franchisees, but I mean, let's say someone wanted to get in touch with you and wanted help with get some of your advice and, and help with uh, consulting, how would they get in touch with you? And what would that, what does your process look like in terms of, um, you know, is it just pretty casual? Do you have a, a system or a, a process that you guide them through to help them to see areas that they can increase things and changes they, they can make, improvements they can make, or what does that look like? It's more of a casual setting, you know, and typically yeah. it's, it's people that I've worked with throughout the subway system. So, I mean, obviously I can kind of open my doors a little, little wider and farther, but a lot of times it's just works, you know, through referral and people I know, you know what I mean? Gotcha. So let's say someone listening wanted to get in touch with you. How would they do that? Uh, I mean, I can, you know, share my, my email and even phone number and they can just give me a call and 
we could sit down and talk about how they want to, you know, what, what, what method they want to use or what type of, um, you know, goals they're looking forward to getting, you know, achieved. And I could kind of, like I said, I could just help them with whatever knowledge I have and hopefully get them to the goal they're, they're trying to reach. Sounds good. We can make sure we put that in the show notes if you're open for it. That way people can get in touch with you that way. Um, sure. Any any parting advice that you would offer people that are thinking about buying a franchise or maybe someone that's an existing franchisee that just wants to continue to grow and scale their business, but maybe they're having some issues and some difficulties? What, what would you uh, leave as parting advice for, for the audience? I mean, for for people that are looking into to franchising, it really is some, you know, and especially I can speak, you know, about Subway, which, and I know there's other concepts, obviously, that you get that same type of support, but, you know, it really, it really guides you to success. It really helps you find the path to get to that ultimate goal. And um, there are some franchisees that I knew that had 15 to 20 locations. And a lot of them said, the hardest time you'll ever have is when you have one location. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. When I had one location, I had one set of problem. And they're like, no, because what you do is, is you broaden your horizon. You broaden your mind and thinking. You know, you basically, you you set that formula and you move to the next. You set the formula, you move to the next. And when small problems come, you learn to give that responsibility to the operators in the store. So yes, they can call you and ask you, but at, at the point where you reach three and four stores, you have that general manager to kind of overlook those locations. And you have that person that kind of takes those small issues and, um, you know, you delegate that responsibility. So, you know, for someone that's only, that's in one and they look, you know, I don't ever want to grow or I don't know how to grow. You find that second location and you can, you will find that way to grow if you really want that. Because really that's the hardest part is just jumping off that ledge into the, you know, into the first one. Because once you're there, you already know the formula. It's just duplicating it, you know? I love it. And that's that's incredible advice. And sometimes you just got to take that plunge. And that's the cool part about being an entrepreneur is you'll find a way. I mean, that's what it, that's what it takes. And you have to be the person that is able to find the way that if, if you put yourself in a situation, you, you'll make it happen. If you want it bad enough, you'll figure it out. Um, don't be stupid, obviously. Be smart about sure. it. EJ, of course, sure. right? Leverage the franchisees that are in the network already and get advice from people. But ultimately, when you have a system behind you and you're someone that's willing to take a little bit of risk, but you are doing the right things, you're following the model, it sounds like you can do something pretty special, which is what you've done. So thanks so much for coming on. This has been incredible. I know that it's it's just been valuable for me to hear. Um, and I, I can't even imagine how helpful this is for a lot of our audience. So thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. All righty, well... Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. Super uh, pumped to get another episode here in the books. And as always, if you like the episode, you got some value from it, would love to uh, get a review from you. An honest review, of course, five stars. Was, is, uh, we're never mad at that. And then, of course, uh, if you if you liked it enough, would love to, to have you share it and, and uh, spread the good news of uh, franchising and how it can posit- positively impact people's lives if it's done the right way. And so thanks again, everyone, for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again. You're fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, 
Make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 